Hey folks, just wanted to share this episode. I recently went on the Exit 5 podcast and got an opportunity to talk with my good friend, Dave Gerhardt. We covered all kinds of topics, including work-life balance briefly at the beginning, but uh, dove deep into one of my favorite topics around the middle intent funnel um, and creating momentum in order to drive uh, down funnel success. So we have some examples uh, from when we worked together at Drift, and then also from uh, my days at Workable. So hope you enjoyed the episode. Thank you. Okay, hello. John Short is a friend of mine. Uh, can you just really, can you actually, can you quickly tell the story about what you said when you called you called me the other Friday and we talked for the first time in three years and what happened? Yeah, so this was, I think the one of the best things to ever happen to me. Uh, I think you've arrived. Uh, I'm on, so I'm on the phone with Dave. Uh, we're catching up for the first time in like three years, and. <laughs> All of a sudden, I hear, Daddy, Daddy, I waved to you. I waved to you. And you said, oh, did you see me in the, through the window of your school bus? And then he goes, hey, John, got to go, and hangs up on me immediately. Three years, I haven't talked to you. <laughs> but, I love but, it. <laughs> but, but like that's the goal, right? It's all about getting back to the family. So... Well, it was um, cool. No, I, I didn't even think of it like that. But like, I think you, you and I have, yeah, we haven't talked in three years, but we have a good enough relationship on a personal level, I think, where you know, like, you, you knew that was like not a big deal. And it was okay to hang up. And I knew you'd text me later, but I looked at my phone later and you're like, I, you know, I just learned so much about you in that, in, in, in yeah. that moment. And uh, that was cool. And I just wanted you to tell that because it meant a lot. Yeah. It meant a lot to me. I'm like, okay, cool. That, that's good. I have a that, that's the priority. I've just, I mean, I've seen it go the other way where you have to sacrifice. You and I talk right. about this a lot where like, yeah, you build a great business, but you don't see your family and, and you, you know, that, that I feel like you can have both. And I think one thing that you and I have always connected on is like, is that line of thinking? Yeah. I, we had an investor in one of our company, in one of the companies I was working at a couple of years ago, Brad Feld. And I remember he was talking to us or I was reading a bio, a bio about him. And this guy's like big time. Like he invested, he's written a ton of books and uh, had invested in the big gaming, a couple of big gaming companies. He's had a, a lot of success. And he was like, no matter what happens, if somebody from my family calls, I like leave the board meeting, whatever I'm doing, pick up the call to make sure I'm there for them. So I always thought that was cool. And then you and I have been talking about Tom Brady and how he's throwing away his family. They're not throwing away his family, but like the decision. And whenever we, yeah, I don't know. There's a lot to get into there. But like the decision to play one to two more mediocre years of football rather than spend time with his family is just not what you and I are about. Yeah. I haven't watched football in like five years and I, I had to Google. How old your daughter? Right when she was born. Like I went from like full blown. Yeah. I went from full blown, like 
full-blown football addict like i was in you know doing fantasy football and like literally going going to my friend's house for 10 hours on a sunday and ordering food and and watching red zone and like the my fantasy football team was like the most important thing in my life no no joke and now like my neighbors will invite me over my neighbor like invited me over to watch a thursday night football game and i was like no because you gotta go like i'm trying to build a relationship with my neighbors But the game is on at – I go to bed at 9 o'clock. The game doesn't fucking kick off until 8.30, yeah. okay? <laughs> and then I got to go and, like, try to do small talk and pretend like I know what's going on in yeah. football. But, yeah, I fell, I fell off so hard after, like, my daughter was born. Yeah. Um, just because, like – and this I'm not judging anybody. If you, that's your thing. Like, I'm addicted to golf right now. Right. And so, like, Our you, you know, releases other places. Right. So, so this is not this is not releases. a commentary on, like, whether yeah. you're obsessed with football or not. Right. However, for, for me, it was just, like, I wanted to hang out with my – with my daughter and my wife and like, I just have a hard time. Like I, I can't sit still for like 30 minutes anymore. And so I can't right. imagine like sitting on the couch for six hours and watching uh, men who are younger than me play, play a sport. Anyway, there's a, there's just, it's like, I just, it's not important. Not anymore. always younger than you. Right. And Tom Brady's. Yeah. Like, okay. Well, but uh, yeah. So, so to your point, like did you got how many, you got six rings. Does he have six rings or seven? Yeah. Six. Right. He's six rings. Obviously, like, bro, just hang, hang it up. Yeah. And, and like, to me, it's not just the, the wife, right? It's the, the whole family situation. Yeah. But, but John, who are we to judge? We don't know who we don't yeah, know. Yeah. We don't know. I, I've, yeah, I've never been the GOAT. All right. Um, let's, let's talk about, let's talk about B2B marketing. <laughs> that makes sense. The, but the, okay. So the way, so basically, long story short is John has been, um, a, a marketing leader and, um, you know, people poo-poo on the term expert, but in my mind, you are an expert in B2B SaaS and B2B marketing. Uh, John was at Workable. Uh, he was, I really, we almost joined our forces like at, at Drift back in the day, but John ended up going and starting his own um, agency where he now works with a lot of B2B SaaS companies on full funnel growth, SEO, SEM content. And we've always just kind of jammed and, and gotten along because John kind of has this philosophy on like, um, you know, growth through expertise and content, content led growth and, and um, not just like the solution isn't just like go spend a hundred grand a month on ads and, and generate a bunch of like, you know, shitty ebook downloads. And so um, I've gotten a lot out of working, working with you and I'm lucky to be able to like bounce ideas off of you. And I started recommending that founders work with you. So that that's, that's our backstory, but maybe with that context and people can go look up your company, it's John short and the company is compound growth marketing. So that tells you what he's about. Mine would be like flashy, flashy marketing.com. John is compound compound growth all marketing. Uh, uh, all social media tweets.com. Uh, Elias at Drift would always just give me shit. He'd be like, what are you doing, writing tweets right now? And I'm like, I mean, kind of. <laughs> um, but uh, just give you, it's, it's October. We'll put this out quickly, but it's October 2020. Obviously, t- it's tough sledding out there for B2B SaaS companies. Like, what, do you, what are you seeing? And then like, what, where are you seeing people pull back? And wh- where should they be investing or how they're thinking about marketing right now? I just would like to hear your, your perspective. Yeah, so I think especially over the last couple of weeks, we I am lucky in that I have a portfolio of clients and I'm constantly talking to people in the market uh, who work in B2B SaaS to understand what's going on in the industry. And I feel like 
We have started to see some pull back uh, in the B2B space. I've seen a couple of layoffs happen over the past couple of weeks. Um, I think companies continue to look for efficiency. So the nice to have longer term projects that, that take a little bit longer to play out are gonna be tougher to get done over the next couple of months, next couple of years maybe, or sorry, next year, over the next year. Um, and so uh, I think we're still seeing a lot of aggressiveness though in the industry. We're still seeing a lot of companies that are looking to make heavy investments and take the opportunity, but places where I'm seeing it slow down are investments in new technology, new marketing operations, technology, expanding to new channels. And there's a lot of focus on the existing channels that they have. The way, the way John said that was very nonchalant, but I think there's this really fucking important thing in there for people that are listening, excuse my language, uh, in B2B SaaS. Most of the listeners to this are at B2B SaaS companies, and a lot of them are selling sales and marketing technology. And what John said is like the reality check of what's happening right now, which is a lot of people are not buying new tech right now. It's very hard. Nobody's going to just go on LinkedIn or do whatever and say, but I, I can, I can tell you that, that, that is the reason people are buying. People are not buying right now. And, and that is very, that can be very challenging from a, what should we be doing in marketing standpoint? Yeah. And I think that's what companies are up against a lot right now. And it, it's very hard to sit in those meetings as a marketing leader, exec team, and just be like, this is how the market is right now. But instead we just kind of like, expect marketing just like optimize the shit out and just make magic happen but i was almost wrote this last night but i didn't but it's really hard to be a nice to have product right now and i unfortunately i think that you can't just change the changing the marketing copy is not what makes you nice to have it has to be a fundamental like product level discussion you know yeah yeah i i think so and i think the last 10 years really we've also seen we've also learned right SaaS came around i don't know i i kind of date it back to like hubspot login salesforce since that period of time there was a period we went through like five to ten years ago where we were like we're gonna get the software we're you know we're gonna enter in our email address enter in a password and boom it's all of a sudden gonna start working for us and over the last couple of years, I think we've seen a lot of companies invest more resources and operations in order to get that software stood up. So if you're working in in-house and you're looking to get buy-in on getting more software, I think going to the economic buyer in your organization, whether it's the CEO or the CFO and having a plan to show, if you wanna get new software, and it might be seen as a nice to have. I think one of the keys is showing how quickly you can get that set up and how much it's going to cost you. Um, and then uh, and then if you're the company that's selling it, yeah, it's tough to be in the nice to have category. You're not gonna be able to, you need the, the nice to haveness needs to leave and become a necessary pro, become a necessary product. And that has to be led by the product team by the CEO and by understanding what what the needs are of your customers in that industry. And that's so cliche to say is like you need to understand your customer, but understanding how to make it something that's 
like understanding the true value of your product is critical. Yeah, that's great. I mean, and, and it's tough. It's tough to like sit and figure out how to ride that out because it's like, what if you're nice to have now, but if buying comes back in six months, um, anyway, might be might be a good opportunity. The, the hard part is there's, it's times like this when you realize what the fluff is and you have to you you have to, you might have to cut it in order to 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 know. Um, what would you be doing? If you're in a B2B SaaS company right now and like you're just natural buying is slowing down, and maybe the CEO is not pushing so hard to to drive revenue right now because it's like, okay, look, it's gonna be kind of shitty for the next two quarters. What what type of like marketing stuff would you be would you be working on? So like maybe you just lost 50, 50k, 100k in budget a month in marketing on ad spend. You still you still gotta do something. What are the things that you think you'd be you'd be focus on focusing on if there's not urgency to buy? Yeah, so you yeah, so I think what we're going to see is uh kind of companies move back into focusing on direct response. And I'm already seeing that. Like they the the CFO, the CEO, they aren't paying as much attention to awareness type programs or they aren't as big of believers if you're not able to track it. And that's just the unfortunate truth. So if I'm in uh, B2B marketing uh, in-house, I'm looking for ways to start to prove out some of the organic campaigns I'm running on LinkedIn, show some of the lift that we're seeing from uh, paid acquisition campaigns that aren't necessarily completely driven by somebody clicking through and looking to purchase, uh, but they are having a big impact on building awareness and getting people ultimately into your funnel. So I think the unfortunate thing is we'll see um, the market revert a little bit to people who, to, you know, focusing spend and direct response like Google ads and SEO and other places where, where it's easy to measure. Um, and, and we're going to see a little bit more hesitancy to, to focus on those like more demand creation type channels. And then I, the, yeah, second, the second thing, and I wrote a post about this today on LinkedIn, I think you need to focus on giving your salespeople something to talk about. And this is what you all did such a great job at Drift. What, I was trying to think about this the other day. Were you looking to launch a new product every week or was it every month? It felt like every week, but it was every it was every month. We We did something that we called marketable, they were called marketable moments. They were on the calendar, like it was a thing that every two, the first Tuesday of every month, we are doing a launch. And so I don't know, like right now it's October. I don't know what the December or January launch is, but I know that the CEO and others around the company have this expectation that that's when we're doing it. Yeah, And that was huge for, for a bunch of different reasons. Number one, it drove like the discipline of like, we're work, we're working on a campaign every every month. Yeah. I think number two, it it gave us this like perception in the market that we were everywhere because we were always doing new and interesting things. So some months it might be a product launch, some months it might be a book, another month it might be a research report, another not, month it might be event. It, it's not always a thing, but it's always felt like a big, it always felt like a big drop. And if you were to go look back at the spikes in pipeline and website traffic, kind of all the metrics, it was always like there was a spike around, around that marketable moment. And yeah. 
eventually we, we had initially done them towards the end of the month but we were noticing that that wasn't giving it wasn't helping the sales team in a way because it's like towards the end of the month they're in the they're in the close motion right they right. we had a, almost a 30 to a 30 day sales cycle and so it'd be like the beginning of month they're creating a ton of pipeline towards the end of the month they shift to closing it and so like we we moved it we ended up moving it forward to the first tuesday of every month and so we kind of gave some momentum to carry us and into the month and to your point about giving sales something to talk about not only did it drive traffic and create social buzz and and you know that type of stuff but it gave sales a reason to go reach out to john other than right. like hello john you're in my nurture sequence and it's like yeah. some of the best reps that drift at that time were not even trying to sell you something they'd be like john are you around next week? Here's two free tickets to this event for your team. Or John, here's a new book we launched. Here's a copy of that. Or John, did you know that our our head of marketing is is doing this podcast and they had this huge guest on? Here, here's a link to the episode. It was like it was things like that that I think worked worked really well. And and that allows, yeah. So giving your sales team something to talk about, because I see this in my position. I, I don't think every company necessarily knows that their budget is slowing down, but their CFO is slow rolling them right now. Like even the decision makers down the organization, they're slow rolling that person, or you're just seeing deals take a little bit longer than they used to. So giving your sales team something to reach out, be useful, continue to build that trust, it changes the dynamic of the whole relationship. We love to dunk on on Twitter and LinkedIn, the emails we get from the reps that are coming out. But I think in a lot of ways, that's on the that's on marketing to not give them anything to reach out to you about. Like if they're saying, hey, John, I noticed the weather in, you know, insert your town is 68 degrees today. That's an actual email I've gotten. And I'd love to get on a phone with you or, hey, let me buy you a coffee and talk to you like that person has nothing interesting to say about their company so they have to give um send me a starbucks gift certificate in order to get on the phone with me like give your team something to talk about uh during these times oh my gosh i'm trying to find this one because i got i got one recently that was so bad it was one of those like not to dunk, not to dunk because we just said don't <laughs> dunk but it was like one of those like the file cabinet fell on did you know did the file cabinet fall on you type type things but yeah. uh shit i'll find it later um yeah so i i i think uh i think like yeah giving giving the sales team something to actually talk about the other thing i w i was going to go with with you on this like if they cut if they cut the budget like they cut 50 grand 50 grand a month in in paid right like you or you and you lost an agency or two or this vendor or whatever right to me the fun part about marketing is like who, who do what what resources do we have right now okay we only yeah. have these six people we don't have paid budget to spend it on like i think sometimes people like why we make bad decisions because we have all the options but it's almost like when you don't have so it's, it's just like it's me john a video person and a designer and we have no budget well fuck, what are we going to do like to me yeah. that's the fun of marketing and like that's the stuff that i love and so it's like the teams that can be creative and like think about that and like not where everything is becomes a so stressful like man we don't have any budget we don't even have any team right. like is there a way where you can flip it and turn it into a positive thing so like what is the cool thing what's the thing that like the four of us could do or the three resources you do have right like i love i love that type of stuff and so i just want to like push people to try to 
think like that as said easily by the guy who's not under pressure at a SaaS company right now but like yeah but it's it's the back against the wall and i think the the cycles in the economy are i always compare it to the rain like the um the forest fires that happen out west where the whole forest gets burned down and like that's your gigantic budget and then it creates new opportunities for new channels new new things to come out of uh the literal ashes of what's happening um but these these are the times when great companies are built because they understand how to do it when their backs up against the wall and they don't have all the budget in place so we tend to see a lot of innovation in marketing and and in product uh when budgets start to tighten a little bit when like if you're the company that just had that budget cut like maybe now's the time to be like all right we're going to go all in on LinkedIn organic and we're going to use like the founders page and one other page. And we're going to like, nobody in our niche, nobody in our industry is like has interesting things to say or is entertaining or funny or educational uh, in this niche. We're going to go hard on LinkedIn in the next three months. Then maybe like the economy comes back and you get your budget back. And now all of a sudden you've built this like new channel yeah. that, that like that you can use to, to further yeah. amplify things. Like I think if you can think like that, that's how you're, that's how you're going to, you're going to not only just just continue to make progress at work but i think like personally like develop as a develop your career as a as a leader and you know to, to, now's the time to go try those new things i guess right yeah and i would write all those like i have a spreadsheet whenever i join a company where i write down every possible channel every possible kind of strategy that you could execute and then i go in and next to them based on the company that I work at. So it's like, you know, outbound email, um, Google ads, Facebook ads, LinkedIn ads, organic LinkedIn, uh, podcast, newsletter, all those things, write them down and then just kind of hypothesize what you think the upside is of those, what the upside is for those different markets, how much budget it requires. And, um, and then what you think, like how confident you are in the impact. And that sounds like a stupid exercise um, or it sounds really easy, but just mapping that all out, putting it all on paper in yeah. front of you helps you. And then that's also something you can take to the CEO of the company to say, hey, look, our back's against the wall. Here's what we put together. Here's our hypothesis on why these channels don't work. And they may come back to you and say, you know, I hate this idea. Our our customers aren't on Twitter. Our customers aren't on LinkedIn, which is always my favorite one. Um, true. <laughs> um, it, and like, it just helps you to kind of get on the same page with that CEO too. You may disagree with them. Um, and a lot of time is wasted by marketers when they don't get buy-in from a CEO, but they still complain that the CEO won't invest in uh, those those areas but at least you're getting on the same page and at least they're seeing your thought process for where you think you should invest you yeah you're on the same what, page and it's all what you just said there is like the most important thing i think like to your point people thinking like this is a silly exercise or whatever but i think you have to be able to articulate like what your marketing strategy is not just to the marketing team but to the cfo to the head of sales and so like that that framework is awesome because then it allows you to be like hey look Todd, <laughs> here's all the things. Like, look, let me, let, let me take you through our marketing strategy. Like, yes, there's lots of things we could be doing. Actually, we've mapped them all out and we rank them all based on, because like I'm assuming in that world, you kind of rank also the things like, well, which 
which things could we be naturally successful at? Like, and for one of the things I was like at Drift, for example, I had done a podcast before and at my last job at HubSpot. And so like us betting on a podcast as an early channel for the company wasn't, it was like, we looked around, it was like, nobody in this niche has one right now. And we yeah. kind of know how to do this. Okay. I like that. Well, I like that idea a little bit more than X. Right. And so you have to look right. where like, where you can, um, you can be successful. But I think that allows you to operate from a position of, of power where you're like, look, we've, we've evaluated all the channels because you have to field all these questions. You're like, the CEO wants to know why you're not testing LinkedIn paid. The VP of sales wants to know why you're not sponsoring Saster. And like, right. I, you know, the lesson I wish I knew then was like, yeah, you just get in this, I would get so defensive about all these things versus if you, if you're like, well, look, we've evaluated all the channels right now. We're not because we're focusing on X, Y, and Z then people are okay and they kind of like leave you alone a little bit with like the all like the why don't we do x thing you know right yeah and it, yeah it, it it sets you up perfectly for those conversations as they will inevitably come in even after you present that the the head of sales is still going to forget or they're still going to push and it's it's better to be open with those conversations with the head of sales to say hey here's why we don't think it's a good idea than just to write it off and kind of you know, let silence kind of kill your relationship with them. Do you have a, do you have a framework? Like now that you have your, your kind of agency and you, you work with a bunch of similar companies in a similar capacity, do you have like a framework that you think about um, that, that you kind of like want to see cop companies operate from when it comes to marketing? Yeah. Philosophy? So, yeah. Yeah, so we have developed our own kind of system, the predictable demand system. And typically we're looking at that kind of exercise that we just talked about. And sometimes we'll add additional columns. I think you make a great point that I'm going to take back, which is, you know, potentially, you know, giving giving each channel some type of ranking in terms of how crowded the market is. So like if you see all your competitors are having podcasts or your competitors rank really well on SEO, it may not be the right place for you to go. Um, and then also like where we start is looking inside the data, inside the CRM, inside the marketing automation system to understand where the best customers are coming from. So use that intelligence to understand who the best customers are and also where your best customers are coming from. So that's, again, is another great exercise to be looking at right now to kind of make sure your money is being spent in the most efficient places. Um, it's not about the leads or the marketing qualified leads. I, I'd look further down at the funnel to look at what uh, industries, what segments of your database are moving through the sales cycle most efficiently, the fast, which means the fastest and converting the best, and also which ones drive the most uh, customer lifetime, lifetime value uh, for your business. And take the insights that you can from there to really narrow in on those audiences where those best customers are coming from. Where, where do you, where do you see like offers in your, in, in this idea of predictable demand? You mean like the, the funnels were moving down? Yeah. I'm, I just would like to hear you talk about the funnel a little bit for people. Yeah. So I started my, like, 
in SaaS, I started out at Logman. And so Logman was a freemium company. And, um, and when I was there was when like HubSpot was coming up and was really big on eBooks. And I remember during the interview process, I pitched the VP of marketing. I was like, you know, I'd been re I was drinking the HubSpot Kool-Aid and I was like, well, like if I wanted to build a case for why we should drive someone to a landing page with an ebook on it, like, would I be able to do that here? I, I don't know if that's exactly what I asked, but I was young and, uh, and she was like, sure, but we're driving people into the product. And like, I didn't realize I, and then I joined Logman and completely took for granted that we were a hundred percent focused on all our marketing efforts on really high intent leads, demos or trials. And, and again, I want to set the backdrop. This is during the time when HubSpot was really pushing the content marketing uh, playbook where you drive leads in through ebooks. So I've always felt like those top of funnel um, ebooks just to get leads in the door don't provide a lot of value. And you want to figure out the ways that you can push leader leads down funnel as best you can to drive demo requests, pricing requests, and uh, and trials. Um, but where I hope you're going with this is like the middle intent funnel, which is like the test drive that we worked on when you were with Yeah, yeah because I think one of the, you know, I think one of the areas where companies struggle the most is to drive high intent leads. And there's there's many people that, that talk about that. I think Chris, Chris Walker's one of them. His stuff yeah. is great. We talk about it in Exit 5 a lot. Uh, I think where a lot of people struggle though is like, okay, I get it. <laughs> I need to drive higher intent leads. H how do I how do I do that? Because it like you know that that part is easy. You got people coming to your website saying, "I've heard of you, and I would like to talk to sales." Fantastic, yeah. no shit. VP of sales wants more of those. But uh, I think it's I think it's at least in the, the the marketing teams that I know and and I've worked with in my experiences. It's harder to understand how to move that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So there are a couple of questions in there because I want to get to test drive because I thought that was something interesting that you had worked right. on. Yeah. Go back and set context for what you're talking about too. Yeah. So test drive was a concept like um, I st one of my first clients coming out of working in-house was drift i think the one of the first weeks that i joined you all had developed a funnel for users who didn't want to start a trial with your product you guys didn't want to do ebooks you didn't want to do the the hubspot playbook at all even though a lot of you had come from hubspot you wanted everything to be a trial or a demo which is yeah great. let me tell you, I'll, like, tell you no, the, I'll tell you the challenge yeah. I'll tell you the, the exact challenge. So we had a business that had grown primarily through free free users. And so there was thousands of people that would sign up. They'd use the free version. Sales would talk to them. Great. Eventually, though, we hit that inflection point of we want to go sell to bigger companies. We want to grow that because it's like if you're growing the freemium low end, you know, $30 a month business, that's a simpler business. You just, you find ways to grow website traffic, website traffic grows, you get more, your more trial signups. The problem is we started selling more complex companies and, and the, the typical buyer was not going to go to the website, 
get the free version, put the free version on their website based on what the use case of the product was. Maybe for Slack, it would work differently, but it's, it was a chat, it's a chat widget on your website. Right. And so very few like legitimate enterprise level companies are going to get a free version of it, slap it on the website and be like, yeah, this is good. Let's, let's, it, let's use it. And so we were kind of up against this, like that was hard to, we could grow that, but it wasn't the right, the right number of people, the right people. And sales was so used to selling to that motion. We need to, but, but then the gap between like content was too big. And so we're like, is there a middle of the funnel type offer where people could like get a taste for this thing? And then we'd then be in a better position to talk to sales. Yeah. So that, that mid intent funnel, and that was brilliant because I think first we started retargeting people to it. So we'd see people who started conversation on drift, but didn't share their email or people who came in, they navigated around the site, looked at some of the product pages, uh, but didn't want to, didn't end up starting a trial or didn't end up engaging in drift. And that was just like easy, boom, come in here, take a look at what it would look like on your website, get an idea of how this thing works. And the beauty of it was you drove the the whole product was built off of an initiated chat experience. So they were getting to experience the the product from their side where they were getting to engage with the bot and understand what the capabilities were. And then they were also able to see what it looked like on the website and, and the amount of ways that we were able to leverage that through PPC, SEO and uh, and paid search was tremendous. It, I think it it got really really strong ROI. Well, so when, and, I, and, and then you did you did something. Can you talk about um what you had done at at Workable because I think it's also it's related. Where you know basically just talk about the the organic kind of moat yeah, that, so, that you built. We want to think about how we create momentum at the top of the funnel to drive down funnel momentum uh, to drive down funnel conversion. So at Workable, we had two years before I started, there were 150 job descriptions that an intern wrote and put them up on the site. After the first month, those job descriptions were on the site. They drove like 100 visitors. And so they didn't have the patience for it. And they just said, uh, forget about this. Cut to when I joined, um, I had kind of worked with a HR company previously and was thinking about the buyer's journey and just thinking about all the different inflection points that happen to someone before they are looking to post a job online. So the first one that stood out in my mind was job descriptions. Somebody who's about to post a job is going to go to Google and look for a job description. And so I found out that this intern had created all these 150 job descriptions two years ago. When I went into Google Analytics, I saw that none of those job descriptions were driving a ton of traffic on their own. Um, but in total, they were driving about 25,000 visits a month. And so in order to capture more of the traffic from those users, we built a funnel from the job descriptions where they could go take a look at the job description. They were at that point copying and pasting it. But what we did was we said we created a call to action that said, post this job description out to 15 plus job boards, click here to start a trial. You click on it, you'd go to an editable format of the job descriptions that you could 
of that job description so you can make changes and personalize it for your company. And then you started the trial from there. And the beauty of that was we saw that users who came in got uh, like users who signed up for a trial had like a 10% conversion rate, which is great. Users who came in, started a trial and then posted a job converted at like 30%. And then users who came in, posted a job and got 10 plus candidates would convert like 75% of the time. So the way we had users entering our product was setting them up so they already had a job posted and were likely to get even more candidates from there. So I, yeah, I think that's, that's another good example of how you can start, how you can take one intent uh, that somebody has and turn it into like down funnel velocity in order to make them better leads. And so, how do you how do you think about coming up with those uh, types of offers? Because I feel like a lot of what your approach is is rooted in this type of thinking, where you basically go back to who are you trying to sell to, and you kind of map the different pain points and questions that you have, and create content. Can you can you share your philosophy on? I, I think you know where I'm trying to go with that. Yeah. So I build out a buyer's journey for the user. So and this is like you, the, one of the first things that you do, right? Yeah, that's one of the first things I do. And so in general, it's usually like I create a spreadsheet with four columns and one for awareness, the other for pain and the other for um, in-market users. Uh, in the case of Workable, which I think is a slightly better example, we had a, um, a workflow inside the tool that, that looked just like lifecycle stages inside of a CRM. You'd have sourced candidates, You'd have a bucket for sourced candidates. You'd have a bucket for candidates who had applied. You had a bucket for people who were going through a phone interview, then an interview, and then the offer stage. And so we basic, I basically just took a screenshot of that, put it into a presentation, and then mapped all the different types of content we could create for each stage in that hiring process. So before they before candidates were sourced, we had people would be looking for job descriptions. While candidates were being sourced, we had information for how to recruit people on LinkedIn. We even did one for Snapchat, which was really interesting and got a ton of traffic. A lot of people are looking for how to recruit on Snapchat. And then we had, during the phone interview and the interview stage, we, had, we created interview questions. We created a lot of content around developing the interview process. And so that was kind of our foundation. But behind that is, I call it inflection points for companies. What's going on at that company that's gonna lead them to need to use your product? And so, and a lot of the companies that I've worked with previously that are in the marketing and sales space, a company that raises $30 million in a series B round, we know they're about to scale up their sales team. So they're going to be looking for sales operations tools and marketing operations tools in order to help that. Um, you know, I see your dog on the couch behind you. <laughs> I, I often think about this, like, um, you know, somebody who gets a dog is likely then going to want to, uh, you know, install a fence in their yard or install an invisible fence. So thinking about all the things that are happening in the background 
that then are going to lead to someone becoming in market and yeah. um, thinking about their intent. I love that analogy. Like just simplify things. Like this is marketing, right? What what is that in your what is that in your world? And I like how in the workable example, like the stages someone goes, the stages a customer goes through to to hire someone is equally as important to know as your your made up internal funnel stages, right? Like that that's that's right. equally as important. So when you when you're talking about this stuff, though, like so you you do this exercise and you 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 I think a lot of people then just get paralyzed though because it's like, wait a second, I just made a list of a hundred, a hundred articles that I that I need to create. Like, how do you how do you think about the actual like execution? What should the execution of those things be? Yeah. So our prioritization comes from talking to the customer and hearing about the pro like hearing how often these challenges come up for them. We're also looking at keyword research a lot of times as a signal of how much demand there is in the market uh, for certain things. So like we'd go to Ahrefs or um, Google Keyword Planner and look at how many people are searching for interview process or interview questions. Um, and so we use all of those things. And then finally, the third one is gut, which is my least favorite because um, I'm data driven. So we look for the, all the different signals that we can find that tell us how popular will a certain piece of content be, um, sometimes also using proprietary data. And then in that case, because it was largely SEO driven, we were able to see when we did all the keyword research where the pockets were where there was the most search. So how many people are looking for job descriptions by job title? How many people are looking for interview questions? Um, how well, like hypothesis, how well do we think users are going to convert to our product when they come in through interview questions versus job descriptions? Um, but again, it goes back to what I was talking about earlier. You map it all out. You identify the criteria that you can find. And then you got to make some some gut decisions or some hypothesis on what the potential impact's gonna be and how difficult is it is going to be to make. What's your opinion on measurement? Because a lot of a lot of the things that you're suggesting lead to content might lead to a new pillar page on a website. I want direct response, easy to measure pipeline driven from that page, John, but that's not the reality of it. How do you how do you measure the impact of some of those things? I guess I guess with SEO and SEM it, it, it's easy, but also the 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 content of that the content of those pages is also not necessarily direct response driven. It might be here's something about your your job or your role that's interesting content, but it's kind of right. also like not a direct connection. You don't just like serve up like a hey get do you want to get a demo on that content and and have right. it convert right? Yeah, yeah, and and those those things like seo ppc that's an experience it, even display ads you need to think about the experience as it starts on the place where they're coming from so when somebody is looking for a job description then they come to your site what are they going to want next like in that case yeah they're going to want to be able to post that job out um in terms of measurement especially for seo i like I think if you look at first touch attribution and just understand what got people into your 
ecosystem? What got them to first come to your site? Uh, I think that will be a lot better because a lot of people would come in through the job descriptions. They'd have that job description. They wouldn't be ready to post the job yet. And then they'd come back in through retargeting or because they saw our ads and were reminded of us. So I think do you first look at, time, do you look at like website, just like any content, like, Hey, like, do you look at no, like the number of website engagement somebody would have before they book a meeting? Do you look at that stuff? Yeah. Yeah. We, we want to, um, we want to understand like we we live in a world of considered purchases. So we mm. wanna understand all the different content people are looking for uh, before they end up converting or, or doing the down funnel conversion. So did that answer your question? Yeah, what do you think about self-reported attribution? Um, I think it's a I think it's something it's a great way to get a better understanding of some of the things that really stood out in your customers' minds. So I think it can be really useful there. Over the last four years since I've worked, since I've started working in sales, I can hear in the conversations that I'm having how people found out about us like why they're looking for us, what's going on at those companies. Like they will, they will often tell me. So I think it's more interesting to collect that information through your SDRs and your AEs because they will, they will be, um, they, they are a great source of inspiration because they can tell the excitement and tone of people when they're talking to them about how they found out about a company. I think it tends to um, give you give more attribution to some of the some of the stuff that is going to drive more recall, um, which is really important to understand, but it might limit the amount of value you put into something like Google Ads, uh, like non-branded search, where they're not necessarily always going to admit that they went to Google and search for, you know, marketing automation software or something like that. So I do think they're downsides, but it's a great tool to have in your tool set. Well, I think it's like, it's like, you're just supposed to use all these things and like triangulate, like, right. you know, marketing attribution doesn't tell you what to go, what to go do. It's not like a formula, although soon it will be with AI, you just plug it in, it does your marketing for you. Um, but I think that that's like a, you hear what you hear what the sales team is saying you see what you're saying through through software attribution you see what self-reported attribution is saying and then still ultimately you're making a bet and so for you like as the founder of an agency you're like okay i feel like based on what i'm hearing we should we're going to go do more of this to get to right. get new customers right that, that that's ultimately you still have to like place a bet um right it's okay. triangulation is the best way to say it it's not there's no one source that can drive 100% of your decision making. And that's a good thing. It's going to slow down how quickly AI replaces us as marketers. Yeah. I tweeted the other day, which is my which is a joke. I wasn't like talking bad about any of the tools. I think they can be really useful, but I said it was more of a reflection on me as a copy as a as a writer. I'm like there's no AI tool that will replace my complete disregard for for grammar and like facts. <laughs> <laughs> 
that's gonna be how we know <laughs> it's, it's scary i it's scary like if you've heard like the joe rogan steve jobs stuff like it's scary because like people are lots of people are gonna the fr fraud and like framing people making shit up about people is gonna get really scary yeah yeah anyway that's a whole side rant okay john let's do let we'll have you come back in two weeks and i think we'll make this a recurring a, a recurring thing because I, I i got want to keep talking to you for an hour but you got bills to pay so and i got bills to pay too so we got to go all right, sounds good. Thank you okay. for having me on.